We're going to be moving back in, took a jog, I think. So we're going to be back in First Kings right now. We're going to be taking on chapter 7, I believe. So turn to First Kings chapter 7. And then we close the set of teachings and of worship with a song. In that interim period, as the band's coming back up to sing that song, we'll have our tithes and offerings available. We took some changes today. And the other thing is you're finding your places. I wanted to explain that the red cups that we passed around to pick up the communion that you're familiar with, that came because somebody felt that in the communion service, what do we do with these cups? So came up with that idea. And I thought that's a good idea. And then last week, another brother came up with another idea. Hey, what if we not do that and just see if we can encourage people to tend those things so that we're not disrupting? I thought, that's a good idea. The reason I share that is because in the mechanics of church, there are great ideas that we move into and we move away from. So we're in a season right now where those cups are your charge. It's a big help if you put them in your pocket. You could then say, hey, Maybe I could do kind of an organic tie-dye on my jeans, and that could be cool. River's statement was actually pretty cool, too, I thought, in terms of the woman generally carrying a purse that can hold it. But I will tell you, I have a man bag, and I can hold it, too. So let's just see what happens as we move away from perhaps something that on the mechanics can be less distracting to us in worship. Again, flexibility is hugely important. It happens to us all the time, so we give it a shot. In First Kings right now, and you can read the announcements as you will. In the close of 6, there had been a work that says was completed, but we didn't get necessarily all of the descriptions with regard to that. We enter into understanding other features within the temple that had been built, but we also get to understand as well what Solomon was privileged to build. The work of God, the temple, inspired through David's heart to express his devotion to God was the supplier, obviously as king, and one whom God honored in giving resources to, and friendships, being an architect, being the one who devotionally heard the plans of God and took down the blueprint that his son Solomon would satisfy. This is where we get to see a picture of both the millennial kingdom in terms of what will be an extraordinary time of a divine rebuilding, literally, of a world that has come after a tribulation in which it gets pounded and people get corrected and lives get saved. That's what we're learning in our study with Rives and Revelation. God's going to do a new creative work. And so one of the passages that I wanted to bring you to that I think should be an encouragement for us 
in the context of world events, but also being able to see its relevancy with this study in First King, what Solomon's been privileged to be able to do on behalf of his father to the glory of God, and even in his humanity, erring along the way, and that the close literally of his oversight of Israel indeed will have erred in his ways to the degree that there will be a corrective work of God on all of Israel and ultimately to Solomon personally. But here's what I wanted to cite that David penned in Psalm, and this would be the 18th Psalms, and this is found in verse 19 that I really want to have as kind of an anchor point for us today. He also, verse 19, brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. So in this, we see that David was able to say, because of the narrow way, God has brought me into a broad place. Because I've made God first, he has given me advantages in all that I have desired. The title for today's teaching is taken from that context. God is first place and gives us a broad place. And so in picking up verse 1 of chapter 7, we're going to be able to highlight the things that Solomon was able to have as a statement from God to the privilege of overseeing God's people. It should be exciting for us that no matter where we are in our tenure right now in life, God's been good to us. We inventory that by accounting all of the beautiful things that he has allowed us to see and to do, even in the reality of hard times, right? God's fully aware of the times that we're in and how hard it can be. But what we do is we exclaim with absolute sincerity, Lord, you're good. You've written the blueprint to my life and to ultimately what happens on the world scene. And you're at work. And the temple reflects the spiritual passion that God has to allow that to be expressed in the tenure of man for a season but also to not forget that in your life personally, as you're linked with him spiritually, you're being blessed. You're being blessed in increments that you didn't think would necessarily have beginning and stop points and resting periods, but he's blessing each one of us specifically. And I know this based on accounting for the age of a worship leader today, but also when I look at the worship band, blessed. We have multiple variations of a worship band, and I got thrown in just for the fact that they didn't want to make me feel that I was forgotten. <laughs> but I realize that along the way, both in who are coming behind me and who have walked before me, God has blessed all of us in a broad place that focuses right here. Let's move into chapter 7, see what the Lord has for us in encouragement. Lord, thank you for hearing us today in worship, even as we are prepared to conclude our teaching in worship. The worship of you, Lord, in this place. 
Lord, as we have savored the elements of communion, as we anticipate the beautiful responsibility and joy we have of rendering to you that which you've given to us in tithes and offerings, seeing what you both do with it, Lord, and are honored by us in our beautiful expression of you are worthy. So help us even now to find in this very broad area of scripture, this lengthy work right now written, what you are saying in Jesus' name. Amen. But Solomon took, it says, 13 years to build his own house. So he finished all his house. So the temple, having been satisfied, and its construct compared now to Solomon's house of 13 years, we can make presumption that they were simultaneous projects, not necessarily the temple being exclusive to a seven-year program of construction while Solomon simply managed it, that God was able to do both. And what I would like to be able to say is that God is able to do both. Jesus told us that he would go and specifically to heaven to prepare a place for us. And if it were not true, he would not have said that. There's a construction project in heaven that the Lord is at work on presently. He's not idly twirling his thumbs, pacing back and forth. He's not concerned about what is not getting done or being haughty in what has been done. He's God. And he's at work on a place that he's preparing for you and me. We need to know that. So one of the things that we understand is that though, in essence, when from the cross, he said it is finished, from the perspective of God, it is conclusive. We will enter into a work that will not have nails on the floor, dust in the air, rust on the equipment, it will have all been done perfectly. None of us will wonder, where are we going? Where's my home? Where do I get to live? It will all have been done and the feast prepared. Comparatively right now, as this work is being done though, and that's what I want to stress, is that it appears that Solomon's work was extraordinary as well in the residence that became the king's palace. Mansions is a term that the scriptures use, but probably it is more accurately to say it will be palatial, what the Lord has prepared from us. And I'm sure if some of you said, could I just have a little cottage? I'm confident the Lord would say, of course. I was hoping you would ask. Could I have a condo? Pfft, no problem. I like sky high risers. Can I do that one? Absolutely. But Solomon right now, we're told, spent 13 years. And what I'm saying is that God's work does always get completed first. That's the point that's being made. It's seven and a half years. His work was completed before Solomon's work. Solomon's work was grand and awesome, but it took more time. Your life 
as you know it now, is going to take a longer time in the perfection that God is doing on his behalf for you than what it took or what it takes for him to get things done. And one of the things that that reminds me of is patience and confidence that even though I am a work in progress, seemingly taking longer, I know this, it's a broad place that God is both giving me and preparing for me. It's a broad place, great liberties, wonderful giftings, a beautiful family that we get to meet face by face by face by face. Do you see the faces as you come in? Beautiful faces that we don't have in this tenure all the time to get to know. But God knows that there's a time in which the broadness of this place is in the expanse of the eternal. It will be also shared in the millennial kingdom. It's going to be amazing. So as we understand right now how long it took, it did get done, this tells us that he also built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits, its width 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits with four rows of cedar pillars and cedar beams on the pillars. And I know all the carpenters are just, they're drooling right now. Oh, if I could just have had that project. And it was paneled with cedar above the beams that were on the 45 pillars, 15 to a row. There were windows with beveled frames in three rows and window was opposite window in three tiers. And all the doorways and doorposts had rectangular frames and window was opposite window in the three tiers. He also made the hall of pillars. Its length was 50 cubits and its width 30 cubits. And in front of them was a portico with pillars. A canopy was in front of them. Then he made a hall for the throne, the hall of judgment where he might judge. And it was paneled with cedar from floor to ceiling, incorporating with his residency in the palace was a place of the judiciary. Because he was anointed with wisdom that exceeded any man who had ever lived at that time, he would be the adjudicator. He never had to ask for an opinion. So what do you guys think about this? Okay, this is what they're saying. What do you know about this? He knew it. He was able to think it through. He was able to have an assurance of an answer that both promoted civility and peace within his kingdom but also the consequence of a judgment on those who violated the righteousness of God being represented in the kingdom of Solomon. He was, in that context, anointed to do so many of all things. It would have been for certain a picture of Jesus. When you look at what he is doing here, as the scriptures reveal, you can see that basically he's covering all facets of the requirements of social security through spiritual priority. See, we look for our social security and go, oh, the government, praise the government. And God says, no, wait a minute, I made the government. And they're not exactly doing things the way that I want it done. And so look to me and I will utilize them for your needs, but never 
presuppose that they can meet all your needs. I am the one who meets your needs. And so in Solomon's kingdom, he was actually a need meter because of the picture that he would be for us in scriptures in a kingdom that was operating very efficiently, very effectively, very righteously. A tribute that he did in the beginning years of his ministry certainly follow to the pleasure and to the purposes of David, his father. The judgment hall, that's where he would make decisions. And it moves on to say, and the house where he dwelt had another court inside the hall of like workmanship. Solomon also made a house like his hall for Pharaoh's daughter whom he had taken as wife. I'll pause there. He did take a foreign wife. This foreign wife, along with other foreign wives, along with other concubines, are going to lead him from a broad place of spiritual blessings to a very narrow adjudication by God, saying, unlike your father, you did not follow thoroughly in my ways. Though David had ways that the scriptures certainly tell us he erred in, one of the things that we know about David is in a short while, he was able to get on his face. He was able to get on his knees. He was able to get to the business of God renewing him in spirit, in his soul. He penned songs and psalms that tell us that. We don't see that. We'll see a proclamation of Solomon's dedication in the temple regarding that and the truth with regard to sin, but he himself could not seemingly self-correct, even though God had visited him at least twice to tell him what he needed to do, walk in the ways of your father. So we have a generation right now that we have the responsibility to say, walk in the ways of your father. I don't have a father. Wait a minute. You have a heavenly father. You walk in the ways of your heavenly father. You walk in the ways of the fathers of your faith. You walk in the ways in which the community of believers represented by families in this Bible walked and God rewarded. That's the way that you walk. That's the way we do things that from God's perspective are contributing to the building work that he is still in the process of satisfying. When I see a blueprint that's spread across a desk, an engineering desk, either seeing it in reality, which I have, or via a diagram, both, I can't make sense of it at all. I see blue and I see white lines, I see notations, I completely would be worthless if you gave me a blueprint and said, now, with this blueprint, build it. I, I can't, I, I'm color discrepant, so is it blue? And I really don't understand lines. I didn't do well in geometry. I didn't do well in trigonometry. I didn't do well in calculus. I think I was probably a fake in physics. I didn't do well in any of those sciences. I can't do it. But then the Lord comes back to me and he says, 
but I can do it because I've got a blueprint that actually you will understand. And you'll understand exactly what I'm doing in your life and you'll understand how I'm using your life and you'll understand how I'm building with you, with others, linked to you, a habitation spiritual. And it both incorporates your family but incorporates the family that I'm putting together that is your eternal brotherhood, sisterhood. I've got it all covered according to my blueprint. So Solomon is following a blueprint. He could understand it based on what David had left behind. I'm just being honest telling you that's an area of my life where I have to say, God, you know. You know. I have a heart that trusts you and what it is you want to do in my life, in my heart, as I have breath to be in the lives of others, you know what you want to do. So I'm leaving that to you. But Solomon right now, in this particular passage of Scripture, is being, if you would, exalted because in the beginning of his ministry as king, he chose to honor his father and exalt God. And he's being blessed in what he gets to do and the statement that it's making for those who from the four corners of the world will come to visit Jerusalem. The magnificence of the temple, the magnificence of the palaces, of the judiciary, of the security systems, of the governance in which thousands of people will be employed to see that peace not only is brokered, but security will never have to be questioned. This is Solomon's legacy, buried in the dust of history, because I guarantee you, God would not be second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth. He's the first wonder of the world. And he created in the lives of the history of the Jewish people, a unparalleled, blessed people that have both survived, but have also thrived in what they have been able to perform as a legacy. He's first. We can't even imagine what Jerusalem would have looked at at that time. And it would have been greater in what God allowed it to represent than even what Herod tried to do in a civil sense, appeasing his own ego. Herod's work was grand. I guarantee you with the work that Solomon had done, been privileged to do, nothing could have touched it. Babylon, the pyramids, nothing. And so as this continues, it says that in this, all these were of costly stones. They were cut to size, trimmed with saws, inside and out, and from the foundation to the eaves, and also on the outside to the great court. The foundation of costly stones, large stones, some 10 cubits and some 8 cubits, and above were costly stones, you and his eyes, and cedar wood, the great court was enclosed with three rows of hewn stones and rows of cedar beams. So were the inner courts of the house of the Lord and the vestibule of the temple. That's an important last tag before it moves into a subtitle. Why? Because it's saying just as he saw done and as he saw fit 
to make certain it was going to be constructed this way, his house was the same. He patterned his house, his palatial house, after the things that he saw being done and were prescribed for the temple. Isn't that cool? So that's one of the ways that we can also say, follow the pattern. Follow the pattern. If we follow the pattern domestically, then we will find ourselves constructing basically the work of God famously. We will have households, we will have relationships that endure the severity of great testings. Satan loves to see what? A house fall. God doesn't. And he's told us that if we build on a sure foundation, not of sand, it can take the tempest. It can take the wind. It can take all of the things that normal homes cannot endure. By superiority of God's construction, it endures. Even when there are tests in the lives of the individuals that occupy those homes, the home will stand. It will both stand spiritually, which is the primary emphasis, but it very likely can endure to the next generation. My father's home endured to satisfy the maturity of his last remaining sons, Jim, myself, and my twin brother, Rob. It has endured to now be into the hands after my older brother, we sold it to him. But a miracle took place in which a young girl used to walk around our block, very likely when I probably was in and out of missions. And this young girl used to look at our house and say, Mommy, I want that house one day. So that young girl grew up, fell in love, married, they have a child, continued to walk around the block. And I'm simply sharing it in a very compressed version that it was necessary that the house sold cash only by reasons of a technicality on the latter portion of the land, it got locked. There was already a construction project on the first portion of land that was sold. So I grew up in a rural area in Grants Pass and seven and a half acres is what I worked with my dad probably up to the age of 31, if you must know. So you started this whole generational Gen 7, Gen 6, Z. You're one of those kind of hangout guys. I call myself foreman of the ranch. But the point being made on this miracle is that that girl grew up. Her grandmother, they love the Lord, they all do, was endowed basically with a fortune and said, Sweetheart, what is it that as I plan our future, basically the time of my tenure closing, what is it that, that I can do for you? What would you like? And that was, Grandma, I've always loved that house. And it's for sale. And so it sold. My father's legacy in listening to my mother, Elroy, can I have that place? Can I have that place for us to live? Turned into a legacy of transfer and ultimately back into the hands 
of a young little girl who grew up to be a very mature daughter and now a wife and a mother and said, Grandma, that's where I want my inheritance in that place. When we follow the blueprint that God has given to us, it leads to a legacy of satisfaction and fulfillment to those you haven't even met. There's really not a lot of people that can pull off a cash deal at something like 500000 That's not my account, by the way. I'm just telling you that's where the market's at. And because I do believe that by reason of a plan that had been followed, not deviated from the time that we moved there in 1968, God said, I got that. I'm going to move that. I'm going to bring it into somebody else's hands who loves it, has always loved it. Because I had my eye on that girl. I also had my eye on you, Rich. I had my eye on everything. Pretty amazing. Solomon is declaring, in essence, by what is revealed, I built it just like the temple. I took component parts. I took absolute certainties of what needed to be done, and I incorporated it into what I enjoy. Are you incorporating the things that God has said you need to have in your blueprint to make an enduring legacy for the next generation? Solomon's generation is going to be limited by one son. He'll have a son as we flip through the scriptures that'll come on the scene. His name is Rehoboam. But because of some of the adaptation that Rehoboam had in the mindset that he didn't follow in the devotion that Solomon originally had, or that his grandfather David for certain was declared to have been, Rehoboam would be a miserable failure. And already God set in motion that Jeroboam would take 10 tribes of the kingdom of Israel to rule over them. Because somewhere along the lines, some manner by which probably we have attestation to, he got distracted, made a political alliance when he just needed to stay spiritually faithful. Pharaoh's daughter? Okay, that can strengthen some of my borders. Okay, I'll do that. But it led to other things, other distractions. And ultimately, as he got older, he got weaker because he didn't have the ability to say no. No, no on that. That's not God's plan. No, no, no. It was, yes, whatever you want. Oh, of course that makes sense. I'll make provision for it. He could not endure the pressure of basically his indulgences as he got older because as he got older, he was not able to maintain his spiritual integrity. The point being made that I think is really just encouraging to me is that in origin, he started out. It's going to have an emulation of the one whom it was built for. As I have put my hand to the heart of my father to see that this structure is built, I will incorporate it in my home, and I will not deviate from it. This is the way it's going to look. This is what it's for. And so when you see those kinds of things in our culture 
reflect, in essence, decay, demoralization, the things that we would say, why are we enduring this? Why are we allowing it to come to this? It's because there's been an allowance in somebody's home that was not built as unto the Lord and followed to prescription and satisfaction that pleases God. It could happen at any time to any of us. May we be those who say, mm, God is first in my place, and therefore he will give me a broad place. God has given me a broad place, therefore I will not take a broad way. The place that he's given me, he's made room for me. It's a place in which there is spiritual bounty and beauty. There's benevolence I'm able to give. But if it is indeed as Solomon went, again, this is where the defiance of the picture happens, because he followed carnality, then he became limited ultimately in his spirituality. It had the consequence of the next generation. Let's not have the consequence of the, direct, of the next generation be upon us. Let's take a look at what's happening to the next generation as they're being raised up behind us. When I get to go over there after being up here and I see them, I'm going, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. We're going to get through this. Those guys have it. I have it for now. Those guys have it. It's going to be all right. So you know very well we're not going to make it through chapter 7. But we did make it to where I believe we can receive from the Lord encouragement and perhaps just that nice, beautiful work of correcting trajectory so that we might have indeed the ability to target ourselves exactly and specifically in our lives to the point that makes the greatest impact for his kingdom. Not striving, not sweating it out, but actually just doing what God's gifted us to do, where we're doing it. Going, not a perfect place, but a perfect God who's perfecting me in my place, a broad place he has given to me. Broad place.